yeah, you kind of, you got to find the funny and everything. I, you know, my family's got issues. Um, and so, but one my thing- family has no issues. We're perfect. <laughs> but I, I mean, we've say- never had one, one moment of awkward. <laughs> what do you mean? Your family is not perfect. Oh, okay. Interesting. My family's crazy on a whole nother level. I know everyone says it about their family, but my family's special. Um, <laughs> but one thing I've always admired about my family is that we are funny. Like, yeah. you know, we are funny people. We make, we clown each other. And so, yeah, our family was always like, it was, I was, we all had to have a good sense of humor. Yes. And it was funny for me that I was the littlest one and I was the most sensitive. Uh-huh. So they were probably like a little nicer to me. Right. But like my mom was like, that's fine. We could make fun of her all day. <laughs> and it was, we just had Passover. And so we were over and it yeah. was cra- crazy and chaos and loud. And, and I tell my mom, as I'm, I'm saying goodbye one night. We were there for a couple of days. And I said, and I said something about being loud. And my mom goes, loud? We're not loud. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what a loud person would say. We are though, but it's funny because other people who are there who don't know us quite as well, my mom and I rib on each other constantly. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I'm like, you are the reason this is happening, and she's like, excuse me, and people are like, how are they? And we're laughing, and I'm like, that's just like life. And now right. I'm raising my children to understand and I'm literally teaching them sarcasm and I'm trying to be re- like trying not to traumatize them but I'm like this is your life these are your parents and you're gonna have to learn <laughs> so they're learning at a very young age when I I they'll be like I'll be like opening a thing of cookies or something right. and they'll be like can we have one and like everyone knows if you're not going to give a five-year-old a cookie you do not show them the cookie that is true and if they see the cookie then you are giving them a cookie it's they not will obsess like about the cookie yeah j- just give them the yeah. damn cookie yeah. right so if i'm obviously opening cookies they they're gonna get one right mommy can i have a cookie nope no cookies and so the joke that's how this what i do now uh-huh Mom is going to eat all the cookies because I'm teaching them sarcasm. Right. And Aww. so it's like, how do I say? Because I'm like, because I did one time I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, and then and they, they were like, well, no, I was like, I'm just kidding. Oh, God, I forgot you're five. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's funny when kids, when they get that sense of humor, like, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's. Yeah, so interesting. What's, I, what's funny is then they love it. So then yeah. I got like, mommy, do it again. Do the cookie yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'll be like, Aww. okay. Hey, guys. Aww. What, mommy? I'm going to eat all oh, the, the cookies. cookies. And they're like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, that innocence. Did you hear about this lady? This bitch needs to be Ooh. strung up somewhere. They caught her on camera throwing away a bag of puppies. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. At Coachella. Who the fuck? Yeah. A bag of, and like actual, like they look like they were just born. Like a bag in the dumpster. This bitch. Yeah. This bitch. That bitch. Yeah. So they caught her. No, they still looking for her. Oh, I'm going to find they her. They released it on, because you're not on Twitter a lot because you have no, a life. No, um, well, no. I yeah. Mean. And I was just like, you know how some things are so awful. Like, I don't know. That's literally like. It's not like she threw out a bag of puppies, one would say, because who's that's like the worst. Like, that's the worst. Like, if 
usually you keep puppies in like a basket or a box of some kind. Right, like, right. But for her to put them in a bag and put them in the dumpster. At Coachella? Like, I guess in the area. But like, oh, that's if you don't it. want okay. the puppies, there are a million put them in a box a and leave them puppy. on a church step. Right? Like, fireman's house. You have to be thing. a special kind of evil yeah. to put a bag of puppies yeah. in a dumpster knowing that the garbage truck is going to come and kill the puppies. I'm so yeah, mad. I'm sorry I'm to start. so mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. This, no, it's just Did when they you find were, the puppies? Yeah, they found the puppies. Did oh, they no, they took the, the puppies, puppies out. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. They found the puppies. Um, and what do, you, what do you arrest her for? Um, General I think, dickness? I, I think it depends on the state. I used to watch that show on Animal Planet, like, ERs. I couldn't. I had to stop watching that show. I cannot watch it because they would show people who like abuse their animals, and they would blur out their faces, and the people would be like, "What? What? It's just a dog." I'm. I'm wondering. It's just a cat. Like then, that's what you think. Then why are we blurring out your face? Yeah, and I was just like, I I would get so angry. Like no big deal. Then show me your face, bitch. Yeah, and I mean, literally, if you don't want the puppy or the kitten or the cat or the old dog or whatever there are a million places to drop them and there off. are a million like, people that you don't even have to go to you can ask around honestly, go on facebook and say easy. hey i have this dog it's easier than if you had a baby yeah okay. oh yeah, yeah and some of these people got children on that note <laughs> should we get started let's talk yeah <laughs> let's do that so i think i'm first this week i think so too and i have i've been meaning to do this woman because she's amazing unfortunately a lot of people I don't think I've heard of her. Um, and this is a two-parter because oh, okay. I started doing work on her and I was like, oh, she deserves her second part. Um, a two-parter. Her name, my notorious woman. Oh, before we get started. Uh, hi, I'm Lavetta. Hi, I'm Miriam. And this is Notorious Women Podcast. Uh-oh, somebody's phone is on. Oh, my bad. Oh, I hate. <laughs> I'm like clowning you. I should check and make sure mine is yeah, on. Yeah, turn your phone off. <laughs> oh. Mine is on. <laughs> okay. I'm just more popular. (laughs) All right, guys. uh, This is Notorious Women podcast. It's a comedy podcast about history's most notorious women. (laughs) It's a comedy podcast about terrible people. Uh Sometimes they're heroic. Sometimes they're heroic and quite often they're heroic. Yes, they are. So we try and run the gamut. It's just an excuse to talk about ladies. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, did you see Beyonce's Homecoming yet on I Netflix? I did it. Oh, my God. It's so good. Is it so it's good? It's so good. Because, you know, if you saw it last oh. year, like on YouTube or whatever, when it played, didn't you didn't. It. Oh, my God. It's so much better because she does behind the scenes. You'll appreciate oh, it. I love um, that. When she gave birth to her twin, she was 218 pounds. I was skinnier than Beyonce. Yep. Um, and she had damn, like, how far, uh, what is it? Eclampsia? Uh, preeclampsia. Preeclampsia. And she had something else. And she had high blood pressure. Well, eclampsia and, is when you no longer have preeclampsia. You have eclampsia, which is much more dangerous. So I think it's preeclampsia. But she probably had preeclampsia. I only know, you know I know that because of Downton Abbey. Yes. Oh, my yeah. God. And I watched that episode while I was pregnant with my husband. <gasps> no. And he was like, uh, and no. he was like not breathing and i was like modern medicine modern medicine every time i talk about that episode and that scene in particular i start weeping it's, it's done really, so well and I, I it's so it's so well done and it's so like it's so interesting to me because they were like oh she's fine now and yeah. i was like no she's not no she's not she needs to be monitored but nobody listened to me because i was in my living room and yeah. it's just a tv <laughs> show but um but beyonce did listen to the doctor and yeah. she was saying that during um i think um 
uh, labor, one of the children's hearts stopped. <gasps> so they had to do an emergency yeah. C-section, yeah. all this stuff. But so she was just saying, and she showed herself. And this is why um, it took me a long time to come around to the Beyonce train, but I am fully, fully, fully on board because I think she's a woman now. So she has something to say. And so her work is richer and more meaningful. Yeah. Um, but like she showed, she's also not so invested in being perfect all the time which i get in the beginning of your career you have an yeah. image that you have to maintain and I, and I feel like her her family like very much pushed her and her early yeah, like, yeah. managers and early people who yeah. were like you are this you there's a level of perfection we expect yes. from you and i think she's extreme and what she's I, very talented that yeah. she can she can achieve it yeah but she's, she's also so skilled, you know? i've always admired what i've always admired about her even when she was younger is that she's extremely um she's extremely Oh God, now I lost the word. Um, Diligent? No. uh, uh, Ambitious. Oh my God. I'm having a brain fart. Focused. (laughs) She's extremely ambitious, which we don't celebrate that enough in women and young women. Mm. And so, but what I liked about this. egotistical. Yeah. And it's like. not. No, it's. There's a lot of ambitious women in the world, but you know, Mm -hmm. they get sidetracked or what have you. But you know, so in this, in Homecoming, the documentary and the one that's on Netflix, check it out. I wish they were sponsoring us, but they're not. Um, (laughs) But it was interesting because she actually showed herself like right when they started rehearsal and you know probably a couple months after she gave birth like she they she showed her with all the extra weight like practicing fuck yeah and she was just yeah shit and you're just like oh my god that's beyonce and she was just saying like yeah like the first day back at practice she's just like you know, you get humbled, you know, that's why a lot of people don't like to practice. And like, she's got extra weight on her because she is a miracle because she just gave birth and uh, to twins. Yeah. And you, she, but it was just so interesting to see her. And then she talked about her strict, strict diet, but then you see her losing the weight slowly, but she said she used it as an opportunity. It has two meanings homecoming for like in college. She never got to go to college because destiny's child was her college. Right. But also a homecoming for her getting back, you know, after the children. So it's a homecoming in that sense and getting back to the body that she once knew. But it's so interesting when you see her all the extra weight and then you see the performance and see how what great shape she was in. Like it. Well, it kind of puts me to shame just like a bit. But no, that's but a, like that's why but, I got up this morning and I went to a class. Yes. And I worked that. out because I have been eating too much haagen and Talenti. Um, oh, don't knock Talenti, and girl. No, Talenti is so good. I've been, <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the empty <laughs> container. I saved them because Marie Kondo told me to. Oh my god, um, it's so so. I've just been I haven't been motivated, even though I know working out is good for you. And I've been every size between a size four and, and girl, a fourteen. And you know so. what I've talked about before, yeah. and I'm gonna talk about it again. Yeah, that because I can't stop, won't stop. Here we go, here we go. Okay, that exercise should be a separate want and desire yes than the category of like healthy eating right which should also be a want and desire yeah. which yeah. is separate from looking at your weight right oh i haven't looked i haven't weighed myself also you look good since when i but weighing yourself is not it's counterproductive for yeah, me it's counterproductive i always go by like what i fit in most people yeah. But like yeah. for me, working out, 
usually comes before the eating better, but I've been eating so badly and I know, we all know, like we all know what it takes, Girl, you know what it takes to be in shape, we, but you gotta be motivated. We went to this Easter brunch, I did not tell you about oh this, God. and we got there and it was with the kids and we had this weekend, it was a great weekend, but we there was no sleep, right? So there was, we were swimming and we were going to the beach and we were with family and we were up till all the hours with the five-year-olds, we're also up till all the hours. And so we were just like, it's Easter. And we were like, and then I used the words Easter brunch. And my one son goes, I want to know what an Easter brunch is like. And I'm like, A, you've been there, but you were too. Um, B, okay, fine. We get $65 a person. Oh, my Lord. But we'd already like parked. Because the woman was like, you know, it's brunch. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's, oh, my God. How much is it? And then the kids. Why is it 65 I'm sorry. I'm not even done. The kids are 22 each. My children will never at one meal eat $22 worth of food. Is it filet mignon brought down by angels? But it I is, don't... though. Okay. So that was the... <laughs> First of all, our waiter took massive pity on us and, like, charged us for only one child. Okay. Because yeah. he saw what they ate. Yeah. And then... But we kept getting up and, like... But um, you know what? Like, I don't drink. So, to me, that's... I feel like that 65 is, ooh. like... Didn't include the coffee. No. Yeah. That is highway but robbery. It was a Cuban restaurant. It sounds really good coffee. Like Aww, really good. That sounds delicious. Um, but I had like sixty five dollars. I had like, I had like shrimp mm-hmm. and like jambalaya mm-hmm. and like this beautiful chicken. It but I feel beautiful. like you can't even eat sixty five dollars worth of food. Like and there were ribs. I can't. I know because I tried. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, and I'm greedy. I'm no, so greedy. But yeah. like, I just what I did though was like, I really I got like extra plates. I would like, yeah, eat yeah, and yeah. I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go get the Brussels sprouts. Yeah, 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 and some more chicken. Share with the kids. But everything I got, I was like giving a little to the kids. But you know what that sixty five dollars is? It's like, well, you very much know uh-huh. this. Uh, this white dress is fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Oh, this white dress is a wedding dress. It is $5,000. Exactly. <laughs> this brunch, because it's on Easter, yeah. is now $65. It was oh. like, but it was really good. But I actually thought about it later because I was hungry for dinner. Like I. It should have been 35, 40 and, bucks. Oh my God. Not and 65. I was like, I don't think I ate as much as I think I ate. No. When, when I was like, I was really greedy child, probably when you're a teenager, like a bunch of teenagers, it'd be worth that because they're going to inhale the food. Yeah, that's true. But I just kept like putting it on my plate and like eating bites of it, sharing with the kids and be like, I'm going to go back. And then look, girl, I got six desserts. Now I did not eat. No, that's what I'm saying. Six desserts. I had a bite of every one of those. Exactly. Like if it's, you know, overlooking the mountains of Maui, then $65. I've done that once. Yeah, so it yeah. was sixty five dollars. Yeah, that makes sense in Maui, <laughs> but you know here. So no, um, this, is, this is like Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> so I so back to my notorious woman. Yes. Um, sorry about the uh, divergent nature of our talk, but which we so never do, Levada. I know we never do it's that. Weird. We're not doing it right now. <laughs> so my notorious woman this week is Anna May Wong. I've heard of her. You've heard, heard of her. Yes. Yeah. See, I think that's, I've almost done her. <laughs> that, oh, that's why I wanted to do her because okay. we all vaguely know about her. Yes. But we should all know her just as well as we know Marlena Dietrich and da da da. da right? Yeah. Yes. So, Anna Mae Wong 
was born Wong Lu Song on January 3rd, 1905 in an integrated community of Chinese, Irish, German, and Japanese residents in Los Angeles. Okay. Only one block north of Chinatown. She was the second of seven children born to Wong Sam Singh, owner of the Sam Key Laundry, and his second wife, Lee Gong Toy, who were both second generation Chinese Americans. Okay. So they're like American Americans. Yeah. Um, Anna May's father spent his youth traveling between the U.S. and China, where he married his first wife and fathered a son in 1890. Okay. He returned to the U.S. in the late 1890s, and in 1901, while continuing to support his family in China, he married a second wife. Anna May's mother. Oh, he didn't yeah. divorce. Yeah, because I think... Um, could you do that? Yeah, you could do that, okay. yes. Because um, I read The Good Earth. <laughs> um, I didn't. Yes. Um, he returned... Oh, so, yeah, so her... her, her, She's her dad's child, but her dad's second wife's child. One of, And he had a lot of children with them. So, okay. Anna May's older sister, Lu Ying, uh, or Lulu, was born in late 1902 and Anna May in 1905 followed by five more children. Damn. Her maternal and paternal grandparents had resided in the U.S. since 1855. Wow. Her paternal grandfather was a merchant who owned two stores in Michigan Hills, a gold mining area in uh, in Placer County, had come from Chang'ong, a village near Taishan, Gongdu, Mm. (laughs) Guangdong uh, province in China in 1853. So he came, um, her paternal great grandfather, her paternal grandfather came there in 1853. Yeah. Before the civil war. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Chinese people have been here a long time. Yeah. Um, in you, you, you and I are in similar wavelengths this week. Let's just say. Oh, okay, cool. In 1910, the family moved to a neighborhood on Figueroa street where they were the only Chinese on the block. They're very Los Angeles. Um, where they were the only Chinese on the block alongside mostly Mex- Mexican and Eastern European families. I'm sure that worked out well and it was not a problem. Well, yeah. Mm. Uh, she attended public school with her older sister at first, but then when the girls became the target of racial taunts from other students, they moved to a Presbyterian Chinese school. Classes were taught in English, but uh, Anna May attended a Chinese language school afternoons and on Saturdays, Yeah, which is great. Uh, about that same time, motion picture production began to uh, relocate from the East Coast to the Los Angeles area. Because again, this is 1910. Yep, this is so, right about. Yeah, it gets started. It gets really going in like 1915. Yeah. Uh, but before With the creation that, of the worst movie in the world, but we'll yeah. talk about that another time. Um, yeah, that's another. Yeah. That's, for, that's uh, for another time. It's bad though. Okay, yeah. go on. But uh, 1910, so funny. Side note, I started watching Black Klansmen and they start <laughs> off with with uh, the birth things of from your birth of a nation yeah <laughs> um and you you look at it now you're just like i cannot believe this is like the highest grossing film and people talk about it all the time i, I remember from like this watching it in high school yeah i didn't watch the whole thing but like learned about it we yeah, watched, you like, watch it and you're like I... and you're like are you fucking shitting yeah. me yeah and they were like yeah. meanwhile mixed race relations were illegal yeah yeah, yeah. thanks guys like yeah. what the fuck like yeah but this really, is cool yeah this we're, is cool we're good with this yeah it's okay it's horrendous but yeah. anyway that's uh we're speaking a birth of a nation in case you don't know well, that. I, it's interesting okay i'm sidetracked from 1915 i'm on sidetrack massively okay so we, we have this book that we read called white water uh-huh which is a children's book mm-hmm. that's a like it's like poking a hole in the opening your little kid's mind about racism oh 
Oh, okay. And it's lovely and it's super well done, but That's it's so very great. interesting because my kids are asking a lot of questions. Yeah. And the answer is that people are mean. Do you know what I mean? This is a lovely story about a little boy who's very thirsty. He goes on the bus with his grandma and he's very excited to get to go into town. And then he's so thirsty, so thirsty. And he goes, he wants water. But he, it talks about how he was waiting for the bus for a long time and they were sitting, but then white people came. So he had to stand, but it's from mm-hmm. his point of view. Mm-hmm. And then even though they were waiting much sooner, they mm-hmm. had to stand in the back while this woman and her son, but I said, but I, but I waved hi to the little boy cause I've seen him before and he waved hi back uh-huh. because right. Cause and kids, then, because kids, because kids, right. Yeah. And then, and then he want him these then he sees the different water fountains and then he decides to sneak into town one day without no one was looking and my kids are like that's bad I'm like well yes but and then he goes to drink the white water because he thinks that must be so clean white water and precious and perfect and delicious and cold and all the things and he drinks it and he realizes that it tastes the same it's the same and then he sees it's the same pipe and so it's all this like even though we keep labeling it it's all the same thing you know and, and Mike, you know, it's just so interesting. My kids are like, well, why did they do that? And Lavetta, I'm just like, yeah. The kids. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to get into some of that they're even assholes. with anime. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah. Like, it's just so interesting because people are like, Hollywood is so liberal. Mm, oh, no. Not so much. You guys. And I'm going to get into some of that. All right. Um, so thank you for letting me go on that tangent. Yeah, no, no. Was, that it's, it's just like her story and all yeah. this. Like, why did this happen? Oh, my God. I have no answer. Humanity is shit. It's That's shit. It, it. Yeah, it is. It's just wrong. Um, So she so they moved to when she was about five, they moved to uh, Figueroa Street. And so right. uh, also she attended Chinese language schools on afternoons and Saturdays. Now, around the same time, motion picture production began to relocate, like I said, from uh, the East Coast to Los Angeles. Movies were shot constantly in and around her neighborhood. She began going to movie theaters and quickly became obsessed with the flickers, is yeah. what they were called, the flickers, missing school and using her lunch money to attend mm-hmm. the cinema. Girl. Her father was not happy with her interest in films, Fair feeling enough. that it interfered with her studies, but Anna decided that uh, she decided then, around that time, to pursue a film career regardless. Okay. It's a little Chinese American girl. It's like, I'm going to be in the movies. I'm going to be in the flickers. I'm going to do it. Yes, At the age girl. of nine, yeah. she constantly, she started constantly begging filmmakers <clears throat> to give her roles. Age nine. Because they were nearby, yeah, I guess. Yeah, earning herself the nickname CCC or Curious Chinese Child. So all they right. all just were calling her that. like mildly offensive but i know i just love it how she's like she's because when you're nine you're fearless right yeah. you have the gumption and she's just like i want to be in movies put me in movies da, da, da. you could you could tell they were like oh, this little girl set. little chinese girl right see, see, see. so undaunted by the age of 11 she came up with her stage name of anna may wong forming uh both uh, joining both her english and family names because she's born wong lu sung Right. So she's just like, anime Wong, right? So it's just, yeah. At 11, she's like, I'm going to be in pictures. Yes, girl. A few years later, she finally got a shot. While um, she was working at Hollywood's Ville de Paris department store, she found out that Metro Pictures needed 300 female extras to appear in Ala Nazimova's film, The Red Lantern. Without her father's permission, 
Okay. A friend of this, a friend of his with movie connections helped her land an uncredited role as an extra carrying a lantern. Okay. Now, for those of us who've ever been an extra. Yeah. The first time you're an extra, it's so <laughs> exciting. Lavetta has stars in her eyes. You're like, oh my God, I'm on the movie set. You're just like, oh my God, this is so great. I've been an extra in a lot of movies that you guys have seen. Um, and every Lovetta time I watch the movie. famous, you guys. Yeah. I was in that movie Contact. I was in that. I was an extra in that. I was an extra on a lot of Nickelodeon shows in Florida. But, but you're just so excited. Were you like, ever an extra in the Mickey Mouse Club? No, I was never an extra in that. Girl. That was kind of like over by the the time I got on a set. Like, I was obsessed with that show. Yeah, but like it you're on a set, you're on a studio lot, you're so excited, yeah. right? So I can only imagine she was eleven. That's um, exciting. I've, or I've she never was like been an extra, but I've extra. been a guest on a studio lot. It's just things. it's so exciting. Even if they never <clears throat> see you, you're just so happy to be there. Uh, for the next two years she worked steadily as an extra in various movies, including Priscilla Dean and Colleen Moore pictures. While still a student, Anna Mae came down with an illness identified as St. Vitus Dance. Ooh. Now, I looked this up and it was very weird. It, it, um, it usually only affects young women under the age of like 15, I think. And it's just like, it's marked by like twitching and like jerking motions and like it's... And it's like a virus? Yeah, it was very common back then. I don't think it's as common now, but she somehow came down with it. So she had to miss like months of school. Yeah. Um, she was on the verge of emotional collapse when her father took her to a practitioner of tr uh, traditional Chinese medicine. The treatments proved successful. Though I was going to say, but you acupuncture can help. Yeah. It's nerve stuff. Yeah. Um, she... So the treatments proved successful, though she later claimed that it had more to do with her dislike of the method. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. she probably just she's funny grew out of it. <laughs> Finding it difficult to keep up with both her homework and her passion of being a movie star, uh. Anna Mae dropped out of high school, out of Los Angeles High School in 1921 at the age of 16. What? To pursue a full-time acting career. Now, reflecting on her decision, she told Motion Picture uh, Magazine in 1931, quote, I was so young when I began that I knew I still had youth if I failed, so I determined to give myself 10 years to succeed as an actor. Okay. Yeah, that's actually pretty realistic, 10 yeah. years, you know, because this is the early parts of it. It's a lot more barriers to the, entry now. I mean, you know, and she didn't yet know how difficult it would be because of her her heritage. But right. um, yeah, that's interesting. That's gumption, man. She wants to be a star. Well, she's been trying to get on set since she was like nine. I love it. Right. I so, love that. She's like, this is what I'm going to do. She's like, do. this is what I'm going to do. Now, that same year she dropped out of school, she received her first screen credit for Bits of Life, the first anthology film in which she played the wife of, Long Chaney, of Lon Chaney's character, Toy Ling, because, you know, he did it in Yellowface, and yeah. a segment entitled Hop. She later recalled it fondly <laughs> as the only time she played the role of a mother. Her appearance earned uh -huh. her a cover photo on the British magazine Picture Show. Okay. At the age of 17, she played her first leading role in the early Metro two-color Technicolor movie, The Toil of the Toil of the Sea, written by Frances Marion. The story was based loosely on Madame Butterfly. Okay. Variety magazine singled out Anna Mae uh, for uh, praise, noting her, quote, extraordinarily fine acting, end quote. The New York Times commented, Quote, Miss Wong steers in, stirs in the spectator all the sympathy of her 
part calls for and she never repels one by an excess of theatrical feeling. She has a difficult role, a role that is botched nine times out of 10, but hers is the 10th performance. Wow. Completely unconscious of the camera with a fine sense of uh, proportion and remarkable uh, panamimic. Now we have to, this was, these were uh, silent films. Right. Panamimic accuracy. She should be seen again and often on the screen, end quote. All right. It's from the New York Times. Yeah. Um, now, despite such reviews and because racism, mm. Hollywood proved reluctant to create starring roles for Anna Mae Wong. Her ethnicity prevented U.S. filmmakers from seeing her as a leading lady. David Schwartz, the I chief. I mean, we're still overcoming that now. Yeah. It's amazing. I just saw it's Crazy amazing. Rich Asians the other day. Oh my God, so good. So it's good. So good. Okay. Although, I mean. So good. The book is better. Yeah, that's what, I mean, the book is always better. But <laughs> it's always. Uh, David was really good. Yeah, I, I mean, Michelle Yeoh is a goddess um, and I love Constance Wu. So David Schwartz, the chief curator of the Museum of the Moving Picture, uh, Moving Image notes, quote, she built up a level of stardom in Hollywood, but Hollywood didn't know what to do with her, end quote. She spent the next few years in supporting roles, providing an exotic atmosphere. Oh, quote God. Unquote, for instance, playing a concubine and Todd Browning's drifting in 1923. Okay. Film producers capitalized on her growing fame, but continued to relegate her to supporting roles. Still op- optimistic about her film career, in 1923, she said, quote, Pictures are fine and I'm getting along all right, but it's not so bad to have the laundry back back of you so you can wait and take good parts and be independent when you're climbing, end quote. Okay. So she had a great attitude about yeah. it. She's like, I've been wanting this since I was nine. So now I'm in pictures. This is yeah, great, right? I'm it's all working out. Wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. At the age of 19, she was cast in a supporting role as a scheming slave in the 1924 Douglas Fairbanks picture, The Thief of Baghdad. It's a very famous yeah, movie. That. Despite playing a stereotypical dragon lady role, her brief appearance on screen caught the attention of audiences and critics alike. The film grossed more than $2 million. Wow. It was a hit. And helped introduce her further to the general audience. Around this time, she had an affair with director Todd Browning. Um, after this second, now affairs were so, everybody's having fair. Everybody's screwing everybody. If you listen I, to the oh podcast, you must remember this. Right. Oh my God. No one kept their pants on. I like, was like, <laughs> the men and the women, they no, all everybody, just hoeing everyone it up. Was like drinking yeah. while having sex or shooting a film. Or shooting like, a film. That's all they were doing. Yeah. Or smoking, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, after this second prominent role, she moved out of her family home into her own apartment. Conscious that Americans viewed her as, quote, foreign born, even though very American. Probably dated back before your family. Yeah. Anna Mae began cultivating a flapper image. Okay. And this is something that actresses do even today. Like you have to come up with an image. Yes. So when people think of you, you know. They can put you in that box yeah. and feel comfortable. With I, it. And, and when I read this, when I was doing this research, I was thinking of like with uh, Hedy Ho- Hedda Hopper. Yeah. When she decided she got that big role in a film in New York, she decided she went and spent a whole, all her salary on like a fancy uh, wardrobe yes. to use. So yeah. she cultivated the image of like the upper of class the fancy, woman. Of the, yeah. yeah. Which you can, yeah. you can kind of all do. Exactly. So anime is 1920. 
she is total flapper. She's right in the midst of the whole jazz age flapper thing, right? So she's like, I'm going to be a flapper girl, but, and she's beautiful. Yeah. I will put all the pictures on our website. She's so beautiful. Um, so in March, 1924, planning to make films about Chinese myths, she signed a deal creating anime Wong productions. Okay. Yes, girl. When her business partner was found to be engaging in dishonest practices, however, mm. anime brought a lawsuit against him and the company dissolved. Dick's gonna dick. I tell you. It keeps dicking, y'all. It soon became evident that anime's career would continue to be limited by American anti-miscegenation laws. Miscegenation. Yeah. Which prevented her from sharing an on-screen kiss with any person of another race, even if the character was Asian, but being portrayed by a white actor. Isn't it funny how I said that a few minutes ago, not knowing that you were going to say this? Now you see and that. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, we keep having these like quote unquote morality laws and the older I get, the more I'm like, what Let's can we define the word moral? Because you yeah. know that in their heads, mm-hmm. these were moral laws to protect yeah. our people and our children and our, yeah. our country when really mm-hmm. it's just racist. Really but, you know, aggressively. What's so enraging about this is that, okay, so these white people are playing Asian people. So that's already bad. That's already bad. But because a white person is playing the Asian person, an actual Asian person can't play opposite them in the other league right. because you can't have a white person and an right. Asian person kissing on screen, even though, again, the white person is playing an Asian person. Which is why we should just have white people portray everybody. <laughs> And then well, they would else. agree. They would agree with so you. That's, that's, and that's that's that is fucked up. Y'all. I mean, we joke, yeah. but that's actually what they were. What thinking. what it, what was going on? So I mean, that that's the cra- crazy shit, yeah. right? Because you're like, let's just have white people play everybody. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, don't agree with me. Yeah, listen to my words and recognize the crazy. Yeah. Now. Black women, it's so funny because I was thinking black women were, had, uh, they could get a lot of work. You could get a lot of work. I just like Asian women could get a lot of work lot if of you maids, played. A lot of concubines, a lot yeah. of um, servants, slaves. Anna May's problem was that her problem, her, she had the misfortune her, of being beautiful. Yeah, her issue and, was that she was beautiful and talented. And, and, and a leading lady. That was her problem, <laughs> that, that right? That for her, see? Yeah, it did. It actually did. Oh, so uh, so she's being prevented from being in movies, even if it's an Asian cast, like a, an Asian story, a, a story set in China, right. Japan, anywhere in Asia, but she can't be the lead because a white person is playing the other mm-hmm. lead. So... Yeah. And it didn't occur to like anybody no. to cast someone not white. Right. It is against, what it is. Against her. Okay. Um, now, the only other, the only leading Asian man in U.S. films in the silent era was Suseo Hayakawa. Hayakawa. He was Japanese. He was from Japan. Okay. Very handsome man. And um, so unless Asian leading men could be found, Anna May could not be a leading lady. It's fucked up. So fucked up. I mean, making- I have to say, like, I, I, I talked to some people who were like, I, you know, what's the hype of Crazy Rich Asians? Like, yeah. it's really, really interesting. They were like, I just, I don't want it to be a hype. Like, it's no big deal. And I mean, A, a I yeah. watched it. Yeah. So I can answer that. But before I watched it, this is why it's hyped. 25 years since there is, since there has been an all Asian club yeah I cannot believe it's so been that like, long there that 
and why don't we have them? Like, well, what we just th- those aren't the stories. No, no, no. Those are American stories. These are American stories. Yeah. These are these are these Her are characters American. Main line, main yeah. stream stories. Yeah, because America is a multicultural society. I, I grew up in California. There were Asian people everywhere. Yeah. If you want to represent me, yeah, you'll show that, right? Because that's what I grew up with, right? And I am not. I'm white, you yeah. know what I mean? But like for me to be comfortable, if everyone's white, that's weird. Yeah, it is weird. And it should be weird. You know, actually, fun fact about Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. I was listening to, um, I think it was the director or maybe it was the screenwriter. Uh, but the screen, the the guy who wrote the book also helped adapt it into a screenplay. Yes. And I, and I think he co-wrote it with the- aspect of it that I think they should have kept in the movie that they took out, but we can talk about oh, okay. that later. But he <laughs> was saying that um, one of the offers he got from a big producer, he didn't name the producer. The producer said, I will fund your film yeah. if you make the girl white. Why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> Why in fuck that's half the yeah. story? It's literally like, but I'm like, she's her story. Are you kidding me? She's, okay, I'm going to go off for a second. But I'm also I like. And Chinese, why can't I fit in with this family? But also. Because it's a class situation. But also, isn't it, isn't in the book, she's she Asian American. Chinese American. <laughs> that is Why the would story. you change that? It's actually more complicated. Yeah. She's super Chinese American. Yeah. Her mom yeah. came from China. And there's like a backstory that gets like part of the plot. Yeah. Yeah. But that plot, it happens in China. Yeah. So like, and so she has her. But see, but not, see, that's, it's just, it's, it, and the director is like, and yeah, he's like, we didn't even have that like, discussion no. because this is what we're talking like, about. Like even thing, in a Chinese girl story, right. will represent what that, that will make Americans feel comfortable. But you know, a lot of times they're but, like, well, the source material is why are they changing? Da, da, da. This source material is Asian. One of the few, and it's, well, yeah. not one of the few, but it's a bestseller. And this producer, even in his head, is like, yeah, I, the girl needs to be white for me to fund it. For me to like understand. And the part of a huge aspect <laughs> is all of these producers yeah. and big wigs yeah. are, are following their gut. Yeah. And their gut, it's racist, it's homophobic. It's, and a lot of times it's outdated. It's old. Not, even if they're not. Right. They're following that old line of thinking, yeah. thinking that's what's going to get the money. And that's yeah. the problem. And that's why Crazy Rich Asians was a big deal. I have a friend, he's, uh, he's, he's half Japanese, and there was a whole crew, and he works sort of near in the business, whole huge crew that, that um, bought theaters and sold oh, out theaters great. for the opening night to go see it yeah. just to make sure their opening night killed. Yeah, because yeah. that's important. that big of a deal and like I think what you're talking about now is so interesting I'm bringing it back to that just because yeah this is it this is why this is what she was going she's a leading lady she's American she doesn't have an accent nope nope she has an American accent yeah because she's American and she has that movie accent that mid-Atlantic accent that they all had (laughs) back then Uh, but this is silent films actually she's still we're still in the silent era even speaking and they they're preventing her from having a career as a leading lady because they won't hire Asian men to play Asian people because so, can Asian men be leading men. Yeah, exactly. Right. Only one. Yeah. Only one. Now, um, she continued to be offered exotic quote unquote supporting yeah. roles that follow the rising vamp stereotype in cinema. She played indigenous native girls in two 1924 films. I'm sure that made native girls feel good. Yeah. But, 
because they definitely didn't know any Native American people. No. Oh, let's not even get started with them. We don't know anybody. Let's just slaughter all the Native man. Americans. Certainly not in California. It's like, you, you look not white, so you could play yeah, a Native exactly. person. Uh, filmed on location in the territory of Alaska, she portrayed an Eskimo in the Alaskan. Okay. She returned to Los Angeles to perform the part of Princess Tiger Lily in Peter Pan, which was very mm-hmm. successful, the hit of the Christmas season. Okay, I'm, in, the, I'm, obs- I'm obsessed with Peter Pan. Uh, so you I, should, you should find this Tiger version. Lily. You should find this version. It's from uh, 24. Um, okay. I'm going to watch it. The next year, she was singled out for critical praise and a man, uh, as a manipulative oriental vamp role, okay. quote unquote. And 40 Winks. Despite such favorable reviews, she's getting favorable reviews. She's working, even if it's supporting roles. She became increasingly disappointed with her casting and began to seek other roles to success. In early 1925, she joined a group of serial stars on a tour of the vaudeville circuit. She thinks, you know, oh, I'll just go on the stage, right? When the tour proved to be a failure, however, she and the rest of the group returned to Hollywood. Oh, that's a shame. In 1926, Anna Mae put the first rivet into the structure of Grauman's Chinese Theater when she joined Norma, Norma Talmadge for the groundbreaking ceremony. Okay. Although she was not invited to leave her hand and footprints in the cement. What? Dicks. I wonder why. I wonder why. You I know, wonder why. Cement doesn't know race. Mm. Okay. And you know, Grauman's Chinese Theater, I thought it was owned by an Asian guy. No, it's owned by a white guy. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. either. Exactly. Oh, uh, can yeah. we say appropriation? No. <laughs> in the um uh in the same year, um, Anime starred in The Silk Bouquet, retitled The Dragon Horse in 1927. The film was one of the first U.S. films to, pro- to be produced with Chinese backing, provided by San Francisco's Chinese Six Companies. The story was set in China during the Ming Dynasty and featured Asian actors playing the Asian roles, a rare occurrence. Wait, wow. Okay. Oh my, oh my, what? What? In 1927? That's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. Chinese weren't a thing yet. No, you understand? No. Everyone was still white. Yes. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> now, she continued to be, she's the same old like bullshit, just supporting roles, supporting roles. If she were a white actress, she would have been like a megastar. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, it, back then it only took like, because Hollywood was a very small, it, it only was, took like, like one or two films well, to do well. It's because I look back at like the story of like, Oh, I can't even think Marlena Dietrich or, or uh, Lena. Well, well, Marlena came from Germany, but I know what uh, you mean. But, like or um, like some of the, the big, the big stars. Like, uh, who's escaping me now? Um, oh, blonde. She married, um, uh, oh God, what's her name? Mary Pickford. Mary Pickford. Yeah. She didn't do that much. Nope. Like all, all these, like other, I can't, they're all escaping me now. Yeah. But you go through what they did and yep. they did like seven movies. Yeah. And or they the did two, one. and they became like a huge, right. huge star. And the third one or the second one made them a huge star. Yep. They did like two or three more. Yep. And then they turned 27 <laughs> and aged yeah. out. Yeah. And but they, they got paid a lot of money. And they got paid a lot of money. Yeah. And they were the precursor. They were the yep. original stars. Where... And anime is just like, hello, I'm over here, motherfuckers. I've, I've gotten good reviews there. I've gotten good yep. reviews there. I've gotten good reviews there. Nope. I'm really talented. But Nobody knows me. They're like, but me. come over here, girl. But but you're Asian. Wait a minute. Well, actually, I'm American. No, but you're Asian. Mm. Like, yeah. So she, yeah, she's just going through all of this. It's, yeah, it's just, 
she was getting frustrated. Hollywood's Asian female characters tended toward two stereotypical poles, the naive and self-sacrificing butterfly mm. and the sly and deceitful dragon lady. Yeah. It's always one or two. So submissive or manipulative, right? And that's still true today. That is probably, I, I hate to say yeah. it. Uh, an old San Francisco movie in uh, from 1927 directed by Alan Costland for Warner Brothers, she played a dragon lady, a gangster's daughter, a gangster's daughter. And Mr. Wu, 1927, she played a supporting role as an inc- as increasing censorship against mixed race on-screen couples cost her the lead. In the Crimson City released the following year, this happened again. So she's just going through this. It's so frustrating. Tired of being both typecast and being passed over for lead Asian roles, because again, the lead Asian roles are going to non-Asian actresses. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's like why it's a problem. Right. Like it's why it's a problem. This is the history of it. There's so very few roles that are written specifically Asian. And when they are, they're played by white actors. And because of miscegenation laws, she then, that pushes her. She can't be, yeah. So that's like, yeah. That's one of the reasons. There's more than that, but that's one of the yeah. reasons why, like, why yes, we are oversensitive about that yeah. now. Like, that's why you shouldn't be doing in nineteen in two thousand seventeen, two thousand sixteen. <clears throat> Scarlet, what? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, this so is can... why we get sensitive <laughs> about it because back in they've been they were pulling this shit in nineteen twenty seven. Yeah, so and, and a, so many people didn't get work. Yeah. And we're left out and we're not able to realize their dreams. So when people are like, but only white people have succeeded in the world. You're like, this is why? Because it's not because white people know how to pull up their bootstraps. You guys, (laughs) it's not at all. No, because, you know, it's one thing if you see her and you're like, oh, but she's not. No, she's clearly leading lady material. She's just like so beautiful. So it's kind of like how and I'm not putting myself down. I'm not clearly leading lady material. You know, I'm like, not either. You know, People have said, "Oh, you're a leading lady." I was like, "No, not really." It's and and part of it is the vibe. Well, not in the '90s because I'm not light skinned. <laughs> Right. I mean, um, that's a whole nother discussion. I mean, even Asian people go through that. It's like, tr- but yeah. it's true. But when like, you see her, you're like, yeah. she's clearly extremely honestly, like, beautiful. In the 90s, it was like a woman would be like medium height, very skinny and very like Caucasian looking. Yeah. You didn't. You know, it's still kind of that way. It's still kind of that way. It's still kind of that way. Like, so, you know, like uh, you and I would be like a best friend. And you know what? Nail salon employee. I'm cool with being the best friend at this point because I'm I'm trying to do sexual favors. Nobody is asking Mm, for it, but I'm still trying to do it. I'm married. So Um, I'm just going to (laughs) support LaVetta, make sure she's. Hey, listen, it's Healthy? been a long time. I'm trying to get laid and I'm, get a role. I'm just. Right. So I have to make sure that these gentlemen. I'm just saying. Are worthy of my friend here. Yes. Because Lavetta is a little blind right now. <laughs> so here for her. But Anna Mae is clearly a leading lady. She's young, gorgeous, can act. Yeah. What else do you want? Right. So 1928, Anna Mae is like, fuck y'all bitches. I'm out. She goes to Europe. Okay. Interviewed by Doris Mackey for Film Weekly in 1933, Anna Mae complained about her Hollywood roles. Quote, I was so tired of the parts I had to play, she commented. She goes on to say, there seems little for me in Hollywood because rather than real Chinese, producers prefer Hungarians, Mexicans, yeah, Ameri- like- American Indians for Chinese roles, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so it's funny. It's funny, but this is horrible and so yeah. infuriating. Um, so... 
she, uh, so in Europe, anime became a sensation, of course, yeah. starring in notable films such as Song and Show Life, uh, Song and Show Life in 1928, and Pavement Butterfly, and in Germany, of the German critics' response to Song, the New York Times reported that Wong was quote acclaimed not only as an actress of transcendent talent, Mm. but as a great beauty, end quote. Yeah, she's very beautiful. Uh, The article noted that Germans passed over her American background. So their issue with her is like, oh, she's American, but she's still good. I love it. Right? Um, Everyone's got to find a way to be a dick. Everyone's (laughs) got to say something. So uh, they said, quote, Berlin critics who were uh, unanimous in praise of both the star and the production neglect to mention that anime is of American birth. They mention only her Chinese origins, end quote. It's really interesting because this is five or a year. Like this is, no, what am I? 1928. It's 28, yeah. 10 years before the war. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But Berlin was very liberal. I know. I mean, Berlin was, that's why, that's why you and I know to not get comfortable. Oh, yeah. In our. It all go away. Because it it can. It's a fine example. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't like Americans. Yeah. But they're like, oh, this this Chinese beauty. They thought that was great. Yeah. But, you know. It's interesting. Now, in Vienna, she played the title role in the operetta uh, Shungshi. I think I'm saying that right. In fluent German. An Austrian critic wrote, quote, Fraulein Wong had the audience perfectly in her power and the unobtrusive tragedy of her acting was deeply moving, carrying off the difficult German speaking part very successfully, end quote. How did she learn to do that? Listen, when you hustling, you figure it out. She wanted to work. Girl right here. You know how hard acting is. I do. I do. And she, she. I learned Yiddish. (laughs) Yeah, she wanted to do it. She wanted yeah. to do it. So if she has to go to Europe, she's like, fuck it, bitches. I mean, Josephine Baker had to go there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just it's just such a shame she can't do it at home in California. She's born like, and raised. Born and raised in the center in Los of the Angeles. film industry yeah. that rejects her because they're dicks. Yeah. Okay. Now, London producer Basil Dean brought the play A Circle of Chalk for Wong to appear in with the young Laurence Olivier. Oh. Her first stage performance in the UK. Okay. Criticism of her California accent. Oh, my God. Described by one critic as a Yankee squeak. Oh, because the UK, there's such fucking dicks know, about such, that. Yeah. I studied theater in the UK. They're just like, oh, that American accent. Did I tell you about when I was, when I was, was we were studying Romeo and Juliet, two mm-hmm. households, both like in dignity. And the American students, the drama students, were yeah. like two households, both alike in dignity. Yeah. In Fair Verona, where we live. Yeah. And he was like, no, no, you two households. And these, I swear to God, this one girl, this this was the moment I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Two households, both alike in dignity. In Fair Verona, where we lay our scene. He was like, perfect. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Like, I You're can't. Like, she she did not like, do that. Hello, governor I accent. Mean, like, Hello. She fucking did. And he was like, yeah, that's good. And I was like, no. That is why the English <laughs> do horrible American accents. Yeah, they really Because do. they're prejudiced. They think, mm-hmm. they're thinking, oh, just make it sound bad. It's because like, they talk like, like this. this. And I'm like, it's that's, not, that's not how Americans <laughs> talk. <laughs> That's why the Australians are kicking their ass on the accent. The Australians can fool us. They can. Because you're like, they're Australian? There's but no the British, way. the British rarely fool me. I'm like, well, well hello there. And how are you, you cowboy? Yeah. I like big steaks. <laughs> or the black British actors, what they do is they all do mammy voice. That annoys me. Oh, shit. <laughs> they do that. And it's like, 
not every black person is in the South in it's 1925. It's literally a mammy. Yeah, so. I know. Why are you doing it? I don't know, Massa. Anyway. Oh, my God. Um, you just, I'm like, don't do that. Like, don't here, do that. Sit down. It's like, just pick like someone you know from the U.S. Like, just mm-hmm. do their accent. Yeah. Don't do that. But yeah, uh, that's why. I, and I said it because the British people. I'm, I mean, Jude Law, you, you know, I, I can, love Jude Law. And yeah. his American accent is atrocious. At this point. He should. He stop. should be shot. He just stopped doing it. But Michael Caine does a good American accent. But you he know, he's does. also I've nev- I'm Michael Michael Caine. Caine but he's I also mean, been he, around like fifty years. He should also years. only say I'm Michael Caine, and that's all I need. And I'm Michael just, Caine could just be Michael Caine. Yeah. I love him so. Uh, now London, like I said, London producer. So she, so she, they criticize her for her Yankee squeak. Uh, <laughs> led to her such dicks. Okay, go on. What led to her seeking vocal training? Okay. at Cambridge University, where she trained. Um, and received pronunciation training. Okay. Composer Constant Lambert, infatuated with the actress, having uh, after having seen her in films, attended the play on the opening night and subsequently composed eight poems of Lee Po dedicated to her. Oh, wow. Anna Mae Wong made her last silent film, Piccadilly, in 1929, the first of five English films in which she had a starring role. So she had to go to England oh. to get starring roles. I mean, because when you look up her, her, um, like you can see some of like short films on YouTube or Amazon has a lot of them. You're like, she's like a leading lady in these films. They were English. A lot of them. Oh. Yeah. So, um, now the film caused a sensation in the UK, Piccadilly Gilda Greywas, the top billed actress, but variety commented that Wong outshines the star. And that yes. from the moment Miss Wong dances in the kitchen's rear, she steals Piccadilly from Miss Gray End quote. Get it girl. Though the film presented Anna Mae in her most uh, sensual role in a British film, once again, she was not permitted to kiss her Caucasian love interest and a controversial scene planned involving a kiss was cut before the film was released. Because the English are racist too. Yeah, we need to remember that. They want to act like, oh, those Americans. It's like, uh, they learned it from y'all. I'm just Um, saying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. India. India. Yeah, I was like... India. You stole my word, but it's pretty obvious. So let's just say it one more time. India. India. It's just different. So, but yeah, same bullshit. Racism's gonna racism. I mean, it's gonna racism. But she, when you, she, there's actually what makes her so unique, and that's why more people really should know her, is that she actually is prominent in a lot of these films. It's not like she came on and did like one little scene. And some of the films she definitely did, right. but she has like a vast like filmography like she when you see her when you see her on screen in like these old films you're like who is this woman she's beautiful and like and she has that mid-atlantic accent it's really interesting like yeah it's great i'm gonna watch so it's weird when you see her play roles where she kind of has an accent you're like that is not her accent like that's what she sounds like or she's in in scenes with other asian actors and asian american actors and she sounds like like any other Hollywood starlet. Like she really she we all should know who she is. So, yeah, I mean, I've heard of her, but I also like. But you vaguely know who she studied is. Studied film and theater, yeah. and I only vaguely know. Yeah, you should know who so she is. So I should know her more. Yeah. yeah. Now, forgotten for decades after its release, Piccadilly was later restored by the British Film Institute. Time Magazine's Richard Carlis uh, calls Piccadilly Wong's best film, and the Guardian reports that the rediscovery of this film and Wong's performance in it has been responsible for a restoration in the actress's reputation. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Now, while in London, she was romantically linked with the writer and broadcasting executive Eric 
Makwitz. Yeah, Makwitz. I think it's Makwitz. Makowitz, Jewish. Yeah, but it's M-A-S-C-H-W-I-T-Z. Makowitz? That's Makowitz, right? Mashevitz. Mashevitz, who possibly wrote the lyrics to, quote, these foolish things remind me of you as an evocation of his longing for her after they parted. While still in London, she did her first talkie, The Flame of Love in 1930, which she recorded in French, English, and German. Because she's skilled, y'all. She's a leading lady. Though anime's performance, particularly her handling of the three languages, was lauded, all three versions of the film received negative reviews. During the Uh 1930s, American studios were looking for fresh European talent. So, ironically, anime caught their eye. These sons of bitches. Jesus Christ. And she was offered a contract with Paramount Paramount Studios in 1930. She was like, I was just here. Literally just here. You know that's where I grew up, right? I was just here. Bitches. Just here. Now, enticed by the promise of lead roles and top billing, because she's like, I've gone to Europe, mm-hmm. I've gotten my training, I've improved my speech patterns. I speak like nine languages now. I am, I'm here to be a star. So she went back to the U.S. The prestige and training she had gained during her years in Europe led to a starring role on Broadway in On the Spot, a drama that ran for 167 performances wow. and which she was later film, she would later film as Dangerous to Know. So they, okay. they adapted it to a film. When the play's director wanted Anna Mae to use stereotypical Japanese mm-hmm. mannerisms derived from Madame Butterfly in mm-hmm. her performance of a Chinese character, mm. anime refused. Mm-hmm. Again, did you get that, people? They wanted yeah, her to use Japanese mannerisms to play a Chinese yeah. character. You can't. Because they don't know the difference. They don't know the not, difference. They don't know the difference. So, you, you, the, so anime, Wong. And cultures. Yeah. Who's yeah. American? <laughs> refused. Speaking of cultures, she instead used her knowledge of real Chinese style oh, and she, gestures did she to imbue the character yeah. with a greater degree of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Following her return to Hollywood in 1930, anime repeatedly turned to the stage and cabaret for a creative outlet because they're like, I want you to play a stereotypical Japanese person, uh, mannerisms for Chinese characters. Because the same, it's Asia somewhere, right? Same. Just be Asian. Just be Asian. (laughs) So um, now in November 1930, Anime's mother was struck and killed by an by uh, a car in front of the figure in front of their Figueroa house. Oh shit! The family remained at the house until 1934, when Anime's father returned to his hometown in China uh, okay. with Anime's younger brothers and sister. Anime had been paying for the education of her younger siblings, who put and and who put their education to work after they relegated to China. So they went back to China. Her dad and okay. her younger siblings. Before the family left, Anime's father wrote a brief article in uh, Zining, a magazine for overseas, Thai Chinese, in which he expressed his pride for his famous daughter. I'm almost done here with part one. Now, with the promise of appearing in a Josef von Sternberg film, Anime accepted another stereotypical role. So they're like, if you do this role, we'll let you do the other. That's how it works. Because she's under contract. Right. Now, um... The title role, so she accepted the stereotypical role of the title character of Fu Manchu's vengeful daughter in Daughter of the Dragon. I watched this yesterday. Okay. And from 1931. This was the last stereotypically evil Chinese role anime played. And also her one time starring 
alongside the other well-known Asian actor of the era, Suseye Hayakawa. Okay. It's so interesting. I watched it and I was like, this is amazing. They, she was his love interest. Okay. And it's weird because he has a clearly, I said Japanese, he clearly has a Japanese accent because he was born and raised in Japan. Oh, okay. But he came here and was, he was a, a heartthrob in silent films. Because in 1931, we're only, we're about, about 10, no, we're about five years probably into talkies, yeah, really. Yeah, four or five. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he was having, he actually made the transition. A lot of actors didn't make the transition. Yeah, no, it's impressive. Uh, but he has a heavy Japanese accent. And she's clearly playing Chinese person. She's Fu Manchu's daughter. So it's like... But that makes sense because the Japanese and the Chinese, that all makes sense. But it's really interesting because they have a great scene where they're like, it's, I'm like, this is amazing because this is like a black and white film and it's two Asian leads having like a conversation. Like, it's really, really amazing when you watch it. You're like, these are actually Asian people. That's very Like two gorgeous Asian people. And like... It's really, really interesting. It's so interesting. I think she's a better actress than he was, but, you know, um, that's just me. Um, I mean, she had theatrical training. Yeah, but I also think that he, um, a lot of people didn't make the transition uh, to talkies because it wasn't as theatrical as a silent. The silent, they had to emote a lot more. Like, that's why when you watch old movies, you're like, these movies are... Like, did people, like, enjoy this? Okay. Yeah, so he, um, but he has a lot of charisma. And like I say, he's he's a handsome... Um, leading man. And it's so interesting to see a leading Asian male actor and a leading Asian female actor play off of each other. I was like, I would watch them. They should have done like five movies together. That would have been so great. Like like an adventure thing. Maybe that would have brought the studio money. Yeah, but no, they didn't even want to try that. Like, yeah. So, and and of course there was a lot of white people in it. So, though you want people to be comfortable of it now she she so she was conniving but she was like a princess so it's just i highly recommended uh it's called daughter of the dragon even though she did not really want to do it It was a stereotypical role but i thought they did a great job of what they had so now though she was given the starring role the status was not reflected in her paycheck oh she was paid six thousand dollars while hayakawa the man was paid $10,000. Yeah, that tracks. And Warner Olin, the white man, the white man who is only in the film for 23 minutes, was paid $12,000. Well, that also so tracks. So he's paid double yeah. her salary. Yeah. That's Fed literally up, double. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fed up, Anna Mae Wong began using her newfound celebrity to make political statements. late Because she's just like, this is some bullshit. I've been playing along. Y'all are some bitches. So (laughs) Anna may begin using her newfound celebrity to make statements. Late in 1931, for example, she wrote a harsh criticism of the Mukden incident and Japan's subsequent invasion of Manchuria. She also became more outspoken in her advocacy for Chinese American causes and for better film roles. In a 1933 interview for Film Weekly entitled I Protest, she criticized the negative stereotyping in Daughter of the Dragon, saying, quote, why is it that the the screen Chinese is always the villain? And so crude Mm -hmm. a villain, murderous, treacherous, a snake in the grass. We are not like that. How could we be with a civilization that is so many times older than the West? Yes. In both America, uh, end quote. 
You say it, girl, because she's been playing the model mm-hmm. minority, yeah, going along been, to get along. She's been so good. I'm I would have been pissed. It's probably finding out that the pay difference. That, yeah, uh, that, that, that she's just like, yeah. So, yeah, she's Camel's like, back fuck you. Out. In both America and Europe, Wong had been seen as a fashion icon. That's because she's very beautiful yeah. for over a decade. In 1934, the Mayfair Mannequin Society of New York voted her, quote, the world's best dressed woman. And in 1938, Look Magazine named her the world's most beautiful Chinese girl. She got to be Chinese girl, end quote. She was glamorous, beautiful, and utterly magnetic on the screen. She was a fashion icon who introduced the new Shanghai style. I'm going to butcher this. Uh, is it Chi, mm, Cheongsam, Cheongsam, also known as Kipoi to Western audiences. That's the style of the Chinese dress that we think of, like the straight with the collar. Yes. She, she made that popular in the oh. West. Um, In her fashion shoots at the height of her popularity in the late 1920s and 30s, she often chose to photograph herself in these uh, types of dress. So she made it like more beautiful and more mainstream. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And so that's the end of part one. So in the part one, anime is like, listen here, bitches, y'all can suck it. Okay. She I'm has tired of y'all. Things to say. I got things to say. Man. I'm, I'm excited about next week. So next week, part two of anime one. So. Who's your notorious okay. woman this so week, darling? My notorious woman, I had a similar thought mm-hmm. in a way. Okay. Because I was like, I'm curious about, this is this is very short, by the way. Okay, yeah. It, Chinese me. women in early California. Okay, oh. Because I like a lot of like Deadwood and uh, yeah. what other things have I seen. Like, And you see that there's like a lot of Chinese people. Mm-hmm. Because they came here for a better life and they built railroads and they worked and yep. they suffered. I want to know more. Like what? So well, came I, here to start businesses. Right. And exactly. families. So. so I discovered a woman named Ah Toy. Ah Toy. A-H-N-T-O-Y. Oh, Ah Toy. Okay. Um, there's not a ton we know about her. Okay. So that's why it's a lot short. It's very short. Okay. But, uh, she was born in 1828 in King, China. Wow. I don't know any more specifics than that. 1828? 1828. Okay. Uh, she left China with her husband, uh, who died during the voyage oh. to California. Oh. She subsequently became the mistress of the ship's captain. He uh. showered gold on her, so oh. much so that by the time she arrived in San Francisco, she had a fair amount of money. Okay, so when you said she became his mistress, that could have been one or two things. It could have been like (laughs) mistress is uh, big quotes. Like Like, he forced her. You have no choice. He can't protect you anymore. Yeah. Um, But it seems to me that she was making some deals. Okay. All right. Get Uh, it, girl. You know. And apparently before 1851, uh, there were only seven Chinese women known to be in the city. Really? So she got off the boat and she noticed people staring at her. And she figured she could make money off of that. Hey, I like this woman already. Mm-hmm. I like her style. She created peep shows. Really? She charged an ounce of gold for a, quote, looky. $16. No. They wanted to look at her. Yeah. Good for her. She quickly became the most famous Chinese prostitute and one of the highest paid and most famous in San Francisco. She was determined and intelligent and frequently used the San Francisco's recorder's court 
to protect herself and her business from exploitation. Mm. She proceeded to create a, a chain of brothels. Now, we were talking about this last week, women who exploit other women. Oh, yeah. And once again, mm-hmm. we found a woman who exploits other women. But I, I will say, side note, that yeah. uh, the madams of the Old West That's just, were some enterprising bitches. Yeah, like it's like <laughs> this bitch gets it done. And yeah. like, God bless her for that. But she imported girls from China and some as young as 11 to work oh. in them. And you know she was like, oh, bring them to America. I'll get work they, for Yeah, them. they'll be made, and not it, prostitutes. it'll be fine. Well, you know, they'll, they'll oh, be some money. Oh, Toy, I was rooting for like, you, girl. I know, I was too. We were all rooting for I you. I was like, on your side. Oh, girl. that's basically like, I'm going to get these little girls raped. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little girls, too. Because she girls. came here, she's a woman. And if you look at... Some of the history, from what I've read, very little. There's more, I'm sure. But in China, in um, what is the word, houses, like tea houses, mm-hmm. the the women who became, uh, what is the, the basically. Concubines? Con- no. Okay. Because there's different levels. There's but, concubines but, uh, and a then. Courtesan. Yeah, a courtesan. It's, it's different levels. They, they would trade. Yes, they would steal you. They would keep you. They would yeah, start yeah, yeah. you at 11. But you wouldn't lose your virginity. Until right, 15. right, right. So I don't know where she was heading in her head. I don't no, know. This is America. I'm I kind of yeah. the old West. I kind of figure it's yeah. not it's not courtesan yeah, I don't, territory. I don't no, think no. I mean, it was bullshit. You know, they'd sell the shit out of your virginity. For yeah, like but these poor babies. Money, but like, I can't. Um, by 1854, however, she was no longer able to take her grievances to court. In the case People versus Hall, the California Supreme Court reversed the conviction of George Hall, who had murdered a Chinese man, extending a California law that African-Americans and Native Americans could not testify in court to include the Chinese. So once again, liberal blue state California was not always a liberal blue state. No. Okay. And they started... um targeting the Chinese specifically because they thought, oh, we, the Negress and the, uh, mm. the, the weird Eastern Europeans are to come in like, you know, Native Americans, we keep them out. But then the Chinese, they were like, oh, it's more of them. So then we have to add them to the exclusion law. someone else not white. I yeah. don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you need a safe space? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the law wasn't directed at prostitutes, but it definitely handicapped mm-hmm. her ability to protect herself because... Okay, so around this time, there was the the Chinese tongs, was, it was, it was like mob ish. Oh well, yeah. I mean, everybody's yeah. got a mob. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, everybody's like got a was, gang. It was the same reason, right? Yeah. It was a reaction to hostility yeah. uh, that the immigrants faced from yeah. American workers, and they but and they took care of their own. But they and also, exploited they them. Also exploited. Yes. They also imported their own women. Yes. And there was a battle of control. Oh, that's, oh I think yeah. I know. I think I've heard of this woman. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yes. Um. They were gangster too. The, the tongs were gangster. The tongs are still around. Yes. So let's uh, pretty. show some so pretty. love. And they are the and most lovely. beautiful. Your eyes are so lovely. Humans. I, I mean, my God. You just, there's like an, a ring of aura <laughs> around you. It's like a you glow. A heavenly glow. So beautiful. <laughs> um... But it, from what I've read, they're basically like caretakers of their communities. Okay. Yeah. Which that. a lot of mobs are like we talked about last yeah. week with Maria. But yeah, I mean, like they, yeah. they basically and then they kind of had to do what they had to do. And yeah. then they kind of probably got a little carried away. Yeah. Um, the anti-prostitution law of 1854 
that was carried out against the Chinese inspired her to withdraw from San Francisco's prostitution business. Towards the end of her life, she supposedly returned to China, a wealthy woman, to live the rest of her days in comfort. But but she returned back to California pretty soon after that. So she, they think she left to go back to China forever, but she changed her mind. Yeah, because I would imagine she left there as somebody's wife and under certain kinds of, you know, male-female gender kind of politics. Yeah. But she'd been in America making her own damn money. She probably was like, oh, fuck that. Yeah, and she's like, um, maybe not. Yeah, at that, at that time especially, I, yeah. I don't think you could go to China and be a single woman yeah, easily. And, and then she's been in America for a while, so then there's that yeah. all that thing. And like, the West. Like, yeah. the West in America was even... Yeah, oh, yeah. That's like, what, yeah, because it was like, uh, people had a lot of autonomy. That's why they moved out there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. So from 1868 until her death in 1928, she lived a quiet life in Santa Clara County, uh, and she died February 1st, 1928, about three months before her 100th birthday. She died. She lived a hundred freaking years. Yeah. Oh my life. So she came back when? And UTI 18? would have killed me at 28. <laughs> but when, when um, did she come back? They 18, think? They said 1868 to 1928. So, so after the Civil War to 19, yeah. right before the stock market crash. Different 1928. Yeah, like right before. Wow. So different sources say different things about her return to China. I don't know. Yeah. That, I think it's assumed. I don't yeah. know that it's documented. Or maybe she got on that boat. And she's like, this is a long fucking ride. I don't think so. Yeah, or she got on the boat in first class mm-hmm. and then being treated a certain way because she's not white. Yeah. And then it's like, you know what? I'm going back to what I know. Fuck yeah, this. Because exactly. that's a long trip. It's a long fucking trip. I that's can't... a long trip today. So imagine back then. like <laughs> It's a long plane ride. Girl, you know? I can't. You know she was on a boat. Yeah, I know she was on a boat. I can't even. Uh, she was the first Asian woman to petition for her rights before the American courts. Mm-hmm. She was also uh, she was also not typical, right? So she was tall and broad shoulders. Um, one Can- source said her feet was were not bound, and another source said they were bound no i bet you they were not because but i think that they from more sources say they weren't because they were too her feet were big no if she yeah. were if her feet were bound she would not be able to walk long distances that's one of the reasons that oh they, yeah that's one of the reasons yeah they and did usually that. the chinese women who came from china to america were not of the aristocracy so they did not have their feet bound right but it also allowed them to travel in other so parts I just, of the world. Yeah, it was interesting that there were... She there, probably there just... They were source, smaller compared to American Well, there is speak. a source that said they were bound. Yeah. But I think that that's I think not, it's just that probably the footwear she the, wore. I mean, if you look at like what happens to a woman's feet when they're... Yeah. It's not like cute. It's no, no, no. It's horrific. It's horrific. It's like... Um, and also, I think that um, um, she may have played up that thing to she might have imp- maybe walked to a make her cute. exoticism mm-hmm. help business who wants to pay for a look you know and so back then remember we don't have the internet or even like yeah. you know so people are like don't the chinese women bound the feet like don't they and it's just wrapped in something they're she like probably, see her feet are bound she probably wrapped because every american was southern back then mm-hmm. uh i, I talk that. about mammy voice mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you saying about the mammy voice <laughs> I'm just curious. You know, I just I want to know what you were saying. I always uh, the outlaw of Josie Wells was just one of my favorite 
uh, Clint Eastwood westerns. I oh, just yeah, love yeah. it when the guys are like, we don't call us the dozer whales. And he's got no teeth. I just love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love anyway. it. having a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love those characters. We call us the dozer whales. But anyway. <laughs> you sound like you have no teeth when you say that. I know. Like I know. I know. I love great character actors. So yeah, great. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so she had she had also been involved amorously. This is a random fun fact with several white men of wealth and prominence. Of course, she was. She bought her own freedom. It seems with her solo prostitution venture, as well as gifts from these men. So I like to think that she had some like joy mm-hmm. in these connections with these men. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that uh, she probably. I mean, a lot. That's why a lot of women didn't like sex because you just like it's used as a tool right it's not necessarily i would imagine a lot of madams had that issue mm-hmm. uh because you see it's a business transaction some people would say sex is a business transaction anyway I but mean, you yeah. know um <laughs> but like i what, what do you mean freedom so was did she not have a freedom that was that was what i thought was interesting that that that's how they phrased but i think I think what it means is that she that she had autonomy. Autonomy. Okay. Okay. So I don't think it means like she was a slave. Like they. Yeah. Yeah. But I just at this time with these. Yeah. But I think it just means autonomy for her, which is hard to get as a woman of and color. And money you know. would do it. Like money, even yeah. today, money. That's why yeah. you know women want to make just as much as they. Uh, mm-hmm. they deserve for the same freaking job weird why are they so particular you know so yeah um, but she became one of the wealthiest and main dealers in Chinese prostitutes in California wow like she but she shouldn't be bringing little babies from you China you know it's like if she didn't do that fucking shit I'd be like this yeah. badass bitch right here I love her you know but- I mean it's different if you tell the young girls um who may be headed for that anyway in China's like, hey, you come yeah. to America, you can make more money. Eventually you mm-hmm. can buy your house, and property. Like, come here. And let them I'm know gonna, the deal. I'm gonna I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna teach you things. It's gonna be helpful to, to be yeah. able to read and write. Yeah. And then when you're can we wait till they're seventeen before we rape them? Sorry, but that's kind of what it is, right? I mean, I'll even give you 15 because back then yeah. people were grown ass yeah, people no, by like, 15. but like not Don't, nine no. and 10. That's like, it no. It said at 11. 11. Her, that's her, no, no, that's too young. Like, remember, you got ladies, remember being 11? Oh, God. Oh, no. no. Uh-uh. You don't know what sex is. No, you don't. You still think babies come out of a belly that's like split open or like, mm-hmm. like you don't know what, how it works. And so and like my vajawa, <laughs> like, yeah, but oh, yeah. anyway, but that's great. A toy, huh? A toy. All right, ladies and gents, that wraps it up for another episode of Notorious Women Podcast. Guys, remember to follow us on all the things at Eat. Notorious WM Pod on Twitter facebook uh also go to our facebook page and like us we need more likes and um if you are so inclined and i hope you are also give us a review on itunes review us please please yes that helps people find us we need more reviews um and if you review us we will read you on the show also you can follow us on instagram at notorious women podcast you can email us at notorious pod at gmail.com and don't forget our patreon patreon Mm -hmm. 
And we're going to have up some new content soon on Patreon. But if you want to support us, you can give us as little as a dollar a month. You can give us $20 a month. You can mm-hmm. give us $10 million. You can give us a one-time donation as of well. $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to do that, go to patreon.com slash notorious women. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash notorious women. And that wraps it up. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>